My wife, Cindy, and I were walking out of Home Depot in Orlando, Florida. We lived there for six and a half years, and we bought a home that needed a little tender, loving care. And so from time to time, we would go to Home Depot or Lowe's. On this particular occasion, we walked out of Home Depot to notice a crowd gathered around our SUV. When we got there, we couldn't help but gawk along with them because an old model Mercedes had run into our car from the wrong direction. Now, now you know what those big parking lots are like. We had pulled our SUV in right beside the handicapped space, and in front of us was the little concrete barrier. Then there's another concrete barrier, and then a traffic lane, and so forth. Well, the car had, had come not from the back and run into our rear driver, the rear wheel well on the driver's side, but had come from the opposite direction, from the front of the car. And we stood there in utter amazement how this would happen, and, and folks all around were more than glad to tell us they had watched it all unfold. <laughs> apparently, and Florida can get very hot in the summertime, Apparently, a couple had parked their car about 75 feet over in front of us and had left the car running and the air conditioning on for the benefit of their three dogs. Then they went in the store. The dogs became excited and one of them knocked the car into reverse and it began its journey back through one traffic lane through a handicapped space, across two concrete barriers, knocking down handicapped signs, through another traffic lane, through handicapped spaces, and the car finally ran into our rear wheel well and choked out. $1,400, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Who has ever seen such a sight as that? And then someone mentioned that the police had been called. And I just kind of stood around waiting for the police to come. And then about 75 feet away, I noticed this couple who had just walked out of Home Depot, looking around, wondering who had stolen their car. They saw what had happened, and I'll never forget that poor woman just rushing over to where we were, apologizing and apologizing and apologizing for what had happened. She was just beside herself. And that same person mentioned the police were on their way. And it threw the woman into a tizzy because you know when the police are coming, you've got to produce your driver's license and your registration card. And so she immediately found her driver's license but began a frantic search for her registration card in the trunk of the car. And so the trunk of the car is opened. I'm standing there. She is rummaging through one box and can't find it. She picks that box up, hands it to me. I'm standing there holding this box, watching what's going on. She's into another box. And then, completely out of the blue, she pauses, turns to me and says, You know the kicker here? The dog that was driving is blind. Well, that explains a lot, don't you think? (laughs) Who could blame the dog? The dog is blind. He couldn't see where he was going. You know, I've enjoyed that story many, many times. And I've told it and people respond just like you did with a nice, healthy belly laugh. 
But somewhere months and months after it had occurred, and I stopped trying to fill the world with words and just listened and reflected on that experience, it reminded me that, you know, to one degree or another, we all are blind. We don't see things in the spiritual realm nearly as clearly as we would like. You know, the Apostle Paul in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he's writing to a troubled church. And down in that 13th chapter, he has this wonderful little sentence. He says, we all see through a glass darkly. That's the King James reading. First century glass had so many imperfections in it, you couldn't see through it. It wasn't transparent. You would see through it and be able to to make out the outline of what was beyond, but you really couldn't distinguish the specifics about it. And Paul is writing there to a troubled church to remind them, as much as we might try, we still see through a glass darkly. There's this blindness that seems to be part of the human condition. There's this blindness that has to do with where we were reared, the kind of culture that we grew up in. There's this kind of blindness that comes because we are so involved in the present moment and all the good things that are a part of life that life itself blinds us from time to time. We become so involved in the day-to-day. We fail to recognize that the kingdom of love and light is breaking in all around us. Or to put it in the imagery that the author of the Gospel of John puts it in. You remember he talks about the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And we spend so much of our time focused in on the kingdom of this world that somehow we just forget about this other kingdom that has dawned in our hearts and is all around us if we'll stop talking and listen for a moment. If we'll stop busying ourselves with all of the things that are good and noble but demand our attention every moment of every day, if we'll just pause and let that other kingdom, that other reality somehow breathe life into our present moment. The, the, the seventh chapter of the book of Acts is a very pivotal chapter. When, when you read through it, it's like, oh, this is about Stephen. I remember he got himself into a lot of trouble. People didn't like his sermon. He was arrested, hauled before the authorities. Uh, things got out of hand and people end up stoning him to death. That's it. First Christian martyr. But it's interesting in this text, as you read it, you notice that a curtain is being pulled back. Not is it just Stephen's death, but when you began to reflect on this from the spiritual dimension, all of a sudden you notice that the curtain between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God has been pulled back for a moment. We see it, for instance, in Stephen's response. It is Stephen here who sees into heaven. The curtain's been pulled back and he sees Jesus standing right beside God. He sees things not as they are in this kingdom, but in the kingdom to come, in the wonderful kingdom of love and light. The curtain's been pulled back. He sees Jesus. He even talks to Jesus in this process and at the very end of his life says, Lord, Jesus, please 
Don't hold these folks accountable. Now everyone else in that group apparently thinks they've just gone to a kill it. But Stephen, with the eyes of faith, is seeing something that is alive and something that is vital and something that seems hidden to everyone else who's just angry and upset and bent on doing whatever needs to be done in the moment. They're missing all of that. And they're missing what God is about in Stephen's death. I'm not suggesting that God causes Stephen's death, but this becomes a huge turning point in the book of Acts. For instance, you know who is standing there observing what's going on, protecting the garments of those who are doing the killing, don't you? Saul of Tarsus, who eventually will get on the Damascus road, be converted to the Christian gospel, and pour out his life in missionary service. And you know, of course, that the martyrdom of Stephen was the cause that God used to allow the gospel to be spread all over Palestine. For after this, Christians in Jerusalem sat around and said, you know, we're not as safe as we thought. We need to move. And so out to the suburbs and beyond, they went all the way to Damascus and Antioch and all the way around to Asia Minor out of a sense of fear. But God was about something Wonderful. What had been a small movement within Jerusalem? Seeds began to be sown halfway around the world because of Stephen's death. You see what's happening here? This other kingdom, the kingdom of love and light, the kingdom of heaven, is being served by Stephen's death. And wonderful things are happening to any of us who can see through the eyes of faith and who are not caught up. In the everyday. Now I know it's easy to get caught up in the everyday. I do it all the time. I walk into the office. There's work waiting for me. I trudge through it all day long. Sometimes I forget about lunch until 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. And then it's like I'll get a little snack and go home early. We work all day long. We are consumed by important and noble things. And we spend our whole day. Sometimes we lay down at, at night too tired to think anymore and we fall asleep. Having gone through a whole day and not allowed ourselves to be open to the wonderful kingdom of love and light that is blossoming and budding all around us. Having never pulled back the curtain to see what God is about. And I know it's hard to do that. We have two sons that were born to us, Benjamin and Jacob. They were 14 months apart. And uh, at the time of when they were young toddlers, we were living in Danville, Virginia. And I'll never forget, Cindy and I were very anxious about being good parents. And so we read everything we could possibly read about how to be a good parent and how to do the right thing. Because we wanted to make sure we did that. And so we read the book entitled, How to Potty Train Your Child in a Day. (laughs) Now friends, it's worth a shot. And, and it was written by a psychologist who uh, had a very great premise to the book. He worked at a mental institution, and they taught um, older adults even how to potty themselves. And the philosophy was you take a little baby that wets, and, and you go in the restroom with your, in my case, 
Benjamin, and we sit there with all kinds of wonderful things to drink, and, and we toilet the child. First of all, we give everybody something to drink, and then we put the little child on the, on the potty, and sure enough, the child goes, calls for celebration. Everyone drinks some more. And so you're constantly trying to get my son Ben, in this case, to go and now toilet the little baby, and eventually to get on the potty himself. Well, the way this works is I have 20 ounces of fluid in this child. Still doesn't want to go to the potty. I have given up and said, Ben, okay, it's all right. You know, go ahead. He walks out of the bathroom, around the corner, into the kitchen, and I hear what sounds like Niagara Falls. <laughs> now, now, that's where most of us live life. Whether it's with young children or the struggles of getting kids to soccer practice or baseball practice or to a recital or to dance or with teenagers following them for their games and whatever else they're doing or as young adults buying that first home and trying to do all the work in the yard to make it look like a palace or even as empty nesters or as retired folks, we always seem to spend our times filling up the day with important things when in fact God is calling us aside to pull back the curtain and to see the kingdom of love and light which after all transforms and blesses each of us. At the Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond one of the requirements for graduation is to go on what we call a mission immersion experience. And what that involves is taking students out of this culture, the culture we're all accustomed to, and taking them over to, well, South Africa or in May, Kenya. Our students went to South Africa over the Christmas holidays and, in fact, shared a meal and worship service with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. In May, the group will go to Kenya. And when we take students to these foreign cultures, we do not go there for our students to teach people in Kenya how to live the Christian life. It's just the opposite. We take our students there so that they can learn from people in Kenya, Nairobi, how the gospel impacts their lives and our students learn from them. And so if our students go to visit the Maasai tribe about two hours distance outside of Nairobi, if they spend the night, they will spend the night in a mud hut. Or they will camp out under the stars. Because we want them to get out of their culture and to hear the gospel in a new and different way. Every time the students come back, I get at least one, maybe two or three letters. And they're always so similar. Students say, this has been life changing for me. I've gone to a different culture. I've heard from people who read the gospel differently because they don't have all the things that we have. They are in poverty. They are in difficulty. They live in slums. And yet in their heart of hearts, there's this sense of joy in Christ. And so they come back saying to me, a curtain has been pulled aside. And we have seen and experienced the love of Christ in a way we don't always see it. 
You see, that's what this text is about. It's certainly about Stephen's death. But it's about spiritual sight. It's about recognizing that we live in the kingdom of this world. But the kingdom of God has somehow is reigning in our hearts. We've been exposed to it. We see the truth of the universe. We know about the love of God. And we can live in it. If we will. As a teenager, I lived in Buckingham County. My father was a country preacher, and we lived on Route 24, not far from the Appomattox County line. And just down the hill from us was a gentleman. He was retired. His name was William Scruggs. And William was into CB radios. Now, those CB radios were very helpful. Truckers would use them. But in those days, lots of folks had them in their homes. And as you may remember, you didn't just pick up your CB radio and say, Ron, are you there? That wasn't the way you did it. You had call numbers, CB 611. And then if you were CB 611, you'd pick up your mic and you'd say, CB 611 here, back to you. And so there was this entire lingo and slang language that was associated with CB radios. Well, William, down the road, had a unique way of calling other people. He would give your call number, CB613, got your ears on? You know, as if you pick them up and take them off and put them on in the morning at the mirror. Got your ears on? And, of course, he was asking, do you have a little time? You want to talk? Are you at home? Are you doing the laundry? Are you out back working? Are you listening? Will you pick up? I hope it's not irreverent. But I think God pretty much every day says to us, Got your ears on? Are you listening? Will you help me pull back the curtain and see the reality of my love and grace at work in your life? You know, we talk about that in specialized ways. We talk about God's call upon our lives to Christian service or God's call to to be a nursery worker or to work with youth or with children. We speak about those wonderful mountaintop experiences where somehow the curtain's been pulled back and we see a new reality and our lives are changed. But that reality is around us every day. It's just that we're running 90 miles an hour, potty training children and trying to get kids from here to there, and we're grinding away at work, or we're worrying about our health. We're preoccupied, and we're missing the best part of life. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we give thanks for active days, for days that we feel with all kinds of wonderful activity, taking care of ourselves and our families and our meals and work and everything else. But remind us that the most needful thing of all is to rest in your presence and to allow you to nurture and to strengthen us for Christian service. In these moments of reflection, Speak to us. 
convict us of our short-sightedness and sin and help us to recommit ourselves to the relationship we share with you. For it's in the strong and wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.